This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get started. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Pizzaville. <laughs> you tempt us, but you never deliver. I never deliver. That's uh, kind of the way it works in government, too, isn't it? Uh, Peter Tabbins. Oh, come on, John. Peter Tabbins. <laughs> that's the voice you're hearing. He's the NDP MPP for Toronto Danforth and the NDP's energy and climate change critic. Good to have you here, Peter. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you Always. for that. Thank you. Kevin Goodad, president of Bright Point Strategy, formerly of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. How's Kevin? I'd be living the dream if I wasn't mourning George Bush today, sir. Well, I understand. And uh, I guess you saw some of the uh, ceremony there. And I mean, the eulogies, what did you make of that? Uh, George Bush, 43, President 43. Brian Mulroney acquitted himself rather nicely as well. Uh, I've only read a little bit about it, actually. I've been a little bit too busy to, uh, I'm going to have to do it after the fact. But I'm just uh, mindful of the, uh, uh, one of the things I liked about uh, President Bush was uh, the high-mindedness he brought to the office, uh, something that I think we lack uh, across levels of government across countries these days. There's certain nobility of the office that I think he wore well. Well, it's interesting you say that, because as Brian Mulroney was speaking in that term, uh, as was George Bush, but, uh, you know, Bush was actually uh, diplomatic and stayed away from that area. of uh, He was just regaling us with, uh, you know, episodes in the life of his father. But when Mulroney had spoken to, you know, the civility that he engendered, you know, George Bush Sr. and uh, so on, it uh, kind of... Well, let, let's play the clip. This is Brian Mulroney's eulogy, and uh, tell me what you thought in the immediate aftermath or as you heard this. Let me tell you that when George Bush was president of the United States of America, every single head of government in the world knew that they were dealing with a gentleman, a genuine leader, one who was distinguished, resolute, and brave. There you go. Peter Tabbins, what is that, uh, an indirect indictment of Donald Trump? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people just had that reflexive, uh, you know, re- reaction to it. Well, I, I think that's a fair commentary, John. I, I shouldn't read things into Mr. Mulroney's words, but I think that's a fair analysis. I, I say that right now, Mr. Trump has really put off an awful lot of world leaders by his lack of consistency or his lack of civility in dealing with people. Well, are these the inevitable contrasts that get drawn every time a statesman passes now? You know, everybody's going to draw the comparison to Trump. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's there's an element of that, John. Uh, and and these leaders like Bush are, are they they also become more statesmanly after their leaders as well. There's a certain not that he wasn't a gentleman or well-meaning man when he's because he was. He's a high-minded, well-read, well-meaning, extremely accomplished fellow. Uh, but he still was a bare-knuckle brawler to a great extent. I mean, the guy led the CIA during you know some of the height of the Cold War. He said you know saw and did a thing or two. Um, but yeah, it's hard not to draw contrasts between the 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 disposition of the troglodyte and the of the. Holding, holding the current <laughs> office. Troglodyte. Wow. All right. I guess, though, uh, a point that you, I thought, were making is that somehow uh, when these guys are in office, Ronald Reagan's another example. They were pilloried, vilified by the left. Well, there's an irony of the, the CNN accolade, if you will. Uh, after these Republicans die, suddenly they're eulogized and wondered they, the, 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 the left only love Republicans when they're dead. <laughs> or out of office. Well, there you go. Uh, all right. So at least out of office, be, fine. You're being intellectually honest, at least, Tabbins. Uh, let me ask you about these office holders here. I'm, I'm generally consistent with that, John. Don't make it sound like an exception. Well, let me ask you then. Uh, these are people in office, and they get to vote themselves uh, staff budgeting uh, increases. 
possibly a pay hike. In fact, I'm talking about the city councillors. Uh, yeah. Now there were 25 plus the mayor, so 26. Uh, but they voted today 18 to 8 in favor of doubling their staffing budget. Yeah, uh, from they two, have from, doubled the number of citizens that they have to look uh, after. Okay, so you go from 241000 a year, so automatically it's double it up to 482. Yeah. In fact, if you use the example that What Doug about Ford economies used, of scale or efficiency? There are no economies of scale. This was always junk. It was always junk when when <laughs> I wanted to say Bush. When Ford was talking about cutting back on the council, he kept talking about Los Angeles and the fact there were only 15 councilors there. He never mentioned the fact that each had 19 staff. 19 staff. It was just junk to say that there were going to be great savings from doing what he did to the city of Toronto. There was no analytical basis. This was just Doug saying what came to his mind All at right. that moment. Well, let me ask the uh, former head of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Kevin Gaudet, uh, if this is justifiable, taking it from 241000 a year for a staffing budget per councillor to 480 to effectively doubling it. Tabin says, well, you double the constituents because you've got, you know, a ward, uh, <laughs> one of the councillors in a ward is eliminated. Does this make sense to you? You know, uh, the process I'd like to see followed, because I actually think it's a conflict of interest for, for any level of government to be awarding themselves and dealing with their own budgets, uh, especially their own remuneration. Uh, not that they've made a final decision on their own remuneration yet, but it's on the table. Um, I, I, I like to see some type of voluntary citizens panels, because uh, uh, my experience is across the country, ju- multiple jurisdictions, when groups of voting the voting public get together and look at these issues, they're capable of making reasonable decisions about what they think the resources and remuneration ought to be for elected officials. That's a process I'd rather see followed in this situation. Well, it makes sense. Perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, compensation I, I think panels. having an advisory panel makes a lot of sense. In fact, there was a panel that was set up uh, years ago to look at the salary for MPPs, and they were suggesting higher salaries and an ongoing increase in those salaries to match inflation. Now, politically, that's not acceptable. It ain't going to happen. Okay, uh, I, I but actually, but I, I don't think it's a bad idea to have a citizen's advisory panel on these things, John. I sure. think a citizen's advisory panel would give MPPs raises. Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to comment because the position <laughs> you're in here, but MPPs yes. haven't had a raise in a hell of a long time in Ontario, and they make, was it 116 grand? Yeah. Uh, uh, that's... Uh, look at it. It's, it's not bad money. Sure, no, sure, it's not. Sure as heck, nobody's getting rich off of it, and I'm not hearing you complaining. No, that's but right. But, but federal MPs make 165. Yeah, but a city councilor is making relatively uh, the same money as an MPP. Yeah, 114,000 right. a year. Yeah, but, but, they, but they're dealing with a constituency that's and they get a pension. And they get a pension. Yeah, and they do get a pension, which, which we you don't. don't get provincially. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think the critical thing is people in city situations require a level of contact with their counselor and that counselor's office that's much higher than it is at the provincial or federal level. It's just an awful lot more detail work. And I don't know, I, I said this at the time to Ford, you can't run a city councilor's office the way you can as an MPP. And frankly, Ford in his own book, Ford Nation, said he couldn't keep up with the constituency work. He said in his book that Rob used to give him the gears for not following up on phone calls. There's a huge volume. And so... What what you're talking about here is just making sure that people can get through and get things done. Wow. All right. So you don't see it being done in a fit of peak or petulance that they thought, well, we'll put a thumb in his eye if uh, he wants to cut the number of counselors. They can do. They can kill two birds with one stone in that. Uh, if Peter will allow me to use that metaphor, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, they can both 
you know, I think they're doing both. I think they're getting access to cash in, in, in a way that uh, they would they would use the lines that, that Peter's suggesting to defend the increase of their budget, and they can also simultaneously poke Doug in the eye because they like to do yeah. that. Right. But, but in fact, the budget's staying the same, right? You have these two... Yeah, but it's not supposed budget. to stay the same. The idea was we'd save $25 million. Yeah, but that was always junk. That, okay, that well, hang on. Just hang on. Well, hang on. hot air. Okay, okay. So let's then pivot to the Auditor General's report. We had her on in the last hour. Uh, Good. Bond, Bond I'm Lisa. glad. Well, I'm glad, too, because she pointed out that there is... Uh, a total uh, lack of physical accountability, or there's profligate spending. Uh, there certainly was under the Kathleen Wynne Liberals. Just and there as, will be under the Ford administration. Well, you can bet on it right now. Well, wait a minute. You say that, but uh, yeah. then, then you hear from uh, the Treasury uh, President there, uh, Peter Bethlen-Falvey, who uh, basically said, we're going to take these recommendations to heart. We're going to implement <laughs> rigorous. Well, why do you laugh at that? Yeah, because the Liberals said exactly the same thing. Well, sure. I, I heard it every year. Oh, yes, we're going to take the recommendations seriously. We're going to implement them. Oh, okay. no question. So you're cynical and you're saying this ain't going to happen. It's going to be business as usual. I, Watch what, what Ford has been doing. Well, it, watch what he's been doing. Or is it just a matter that the rot is Finding so... efficiencies and rolling back spending. Uh, no, I haven't seen any finding efficiencies. I have seen budget cuts, without a doubt. And frankly, the fact that he was so completely... Well, one, 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 com one would argue canceling promises for four new universities is finding efficiencies. No, like, that, that's not... That's a cut. I won't argue that. Oh, well, well, but, what do you mean that, it's a cut? Is that more that's efficient? You, are you actually able to deliver all of the classes to all the students that would have been served in a way that's over, far more efficient? It's over so absolutely. I don't think so. I don't think so. Hey, I don't see the efficiency in it. Well, the French language university uh, was never... There was no money spent on that. This is uh, basically... It was a promise Kathleen Wynne made at the uh, end of, well, she was buying votes effectively or trying to shore up whatever support she had in the Franco-Ontarian community, but there was no money earmarked for that, so he, what, he didn't cut per se. There was a government it, commitment to build a French language university, and frankly, if you consult with the Francophone community, they expected that university to get going. There were, plan, there were planning that was in process, and point out that in Quebec, we have McGill University, an English language university supported by the province of Quebec, we also which have is one of the French language courses at universities here in Ontario. And you have English language courses in universities in Quebec as well. Okay, but so we're not going a, anywhere. It's a circular argument. My point being that... Uh, well, you're going to treat the Francophone community fairly. You should treat them at least as well as they're treated in Quebec. Well, how about their advocate there? Well, the, the, the challenge that I face here is, is, is on one hand, Peter says that he doesn't believe the Ford government's going to reduce spending, and on the other, he's decrying the Ford government for reducing spending, so it, it's like he won't no, advocate no, the I, I don't. Too. I don't believe that there are going to be efficiencies, and will there be profligacy and waste? I have no doubt for a moment that that's going to be the case. Well, all right, no we'll, doubt for a moment. We'll dial it back to what the AG found here in a moment. I'll, uh, shed I'm happy my... to go there. That's well, a good All right. Well, you know, there's a lot of grist for that mill, so give me an opportunity and we'll do that in a moment. Pages. When we come back with our panel, that's right. I'm riffling through them right now. 1,145 pages in total. Uh, so I've got the Evelyn Wood speed reading cassette, and uh, I'm basically going through that. So we'll drill down on some of the key points with our panel. Peter Tabbins, Kevin Goodett, Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. So if somebody was, um, let's say, 23 years old and living with their parents that making a million dollars, their parents making a million dollars, they would still be eligible for Ontario Works because their parents' income aren't ta isn't taken into account in determining their eligibility for OSAP. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.